I know I'm to save my voice, but man, it's hard to not want to sing those songs. <laughs> They're all so good. There's a lot of information in your bulletin. I encourage you to read it carefully if you're interested in coming out to the trap shoot on Thursday night. A lot of information in there. Obviously, you need to bring a lawn chair. It's not enough for everyone. Next Sunday morning is the Frontline Picnic, so if you're involved in those ministries, want to be a part of that. Last car cruise of the year coming up August 25th. Boot camp for life group leaders on August the 26th. If you want to have children or if you have children in our children's ministries, we call them Upstreet and Wombaland. That may not mean anything to all of you or any of you this morning, but that's what we call them. And if you're involved or want to have your children involved in that from kindergarten to fifth grade, also you need to take them outside these doors and over to that hall there and sign them up. So we'll make sure we have enough preparation for that and everything that needs to take place. So if you can help us out in that, we would really appreciate that. I don't know why I'm always asking a question or beginning with a question, but these are some of the ones that run through my mind, and I want to ask you this this morning. Is there any of you here this morning that would have loved to have been around to actually see some of the biblical miracles? I mean, wouldn't that have been cool? One of the Israelites, you're headed toward the new promised land, whatever that looked like, and you realize the Egyptians are on your heels. They're probably going to overtake you. They have a much more powerful army than you do. They're a matter of fact, you don't even have an army yet. And all of a sudden, you know they're coming, and right in front of you is the Red Sea. And you don't even know how deep it is or whether or not you'll get across it or whether or not you'll make it. And then all of a sudden, in this amazing moment in time, you can almost feel the wind, and the water begins to move, and then all of a sudden, it wells up so high that you can't see beyond it or over it. And all of you, whether a million or two million people, walk through unscathed. And then you turn around after it's all said and done, the water collapses on the Egyptian army, and they're destroyed. I mean, come on, who would not want to see that? Elijah, fire from heaven, taking on the prophets of Baal, the alternate gods, the small g gods in the Old Testament. And Elijah is trying to get the people to make up their mind. Who are you going to serve? These gods that don't seem to do anything or respond in any way at all are the God of the universe. The God of the word of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he challenges them. We'll both do sacrifices. I'll sacrifice mine, you sacrifice yours. And then we'll call down from the gods of heaven to see if they bring down fire and lap it up or consume it. And so they both do that. Now they're watching it unfold. And, and I would have loved to have been somewhere on the hillside just watching that. As they're beating themselves and cutting their arms and pleading with their God to come. And Elijah kind of prompting them. What, your God asleep? Does he not remember where you are? Does he not hear you when you pray? And then all of a sudden now it's his turn. And he asks them to pour water all over the sacrifice. Buckets and barrels of water all over the sacrifice. And simply said, God of the universe, show them who you are. And fire from heaven comes down from heaven and consumes the altar and consumes the sacrifice and laps up all the water. I mean, come on. Would you not want to have been there to see that? Joshua, the leader that took over after Moses in the middle of a number of battles, marching his people around Jericho and on the seventh day blow the trumpets and the walls fall down, has the opportunity at some time in his journey with God to have the sun stand still. For a day. I got to believe every once in a while you'd love for time just to stop, right? What about moving into the New Testament? The miracles of Jesus. 
I would have loved to have seen some of them. Five, ten, fifteen thousand people coming looking for food. The disciples have none. No local McDonald's, no Wendy's, no Burger King. Sends them into town. They come back with nothing. All of a sudden, one says, I got a lunch. You look at the other disciples going, you got a lunch. Big deal. Now I got a little boy's lunch. Got some fish in it and some bread. What do you think you can do with that, Jesus? And he feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with a boy's bag lunch. I mean, I would have loved to have seen some of that. The blind being able to see, the lame being able to walk. Every time I read the Old Testament or the New Testament, I find myself saying, I would have loved to have seen some of that. Matter of fact, when I talk to people about it, I hear things like say, hear them saying things like, why don't we see those anymore? I, I would have loved to have been there. I'd have loved to have seen a miracle like that. How come we don't see those kind of miracles today? Now, you need to know, God still does the miraculous. But the greatest miracle of all is not the lame walking or the blind seeing. The greatest miracle of all is those of us who are dead in Christ, who have absolutely no hope on this planet, who wanted to go to heaven when it was all said and done, couldn't get there on our own. We had no hope on this planet, and God, through our saving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, took us from death to life and offered us eternal life. Now that is the greatest miracle of all. Never, ever, ever underestimate your relationship with Jesus. The moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were a part of the greatest miracle of all. Not just the lame walking or the blind able to see. You were taken from death to life. So often I hear people saying, well, I don't have a great story. I accepted Jesus when I was six. I accepted Jesus when I was nine. I, I went forward. I raised my hand. I talked to somebody about where I was in Jesus and hadn't done that much. It wasn't that bad. And I came to faith in Christ and then I hear some of these other amazing stories of walking far away from God, deep in the pit of hell, and all of a sudden rescued by God. And I don't have a story like that. Yes, you do. Because you were dead and when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were brought back to life. That is the absolute greatest miracle of all. Never, ever, ever underestimate your relationship with Jesus. And never underestimate what God did for you when he brought you from death to life. Is that awesome or what? Let me ask you a question. If you're a botanist or a florist or maybe just a regular gardener, and I walked over to your house and I brought you this plant and I said to you, any hope for its survival? Now, you're all looking up here saying, well, finally they brought some plants here, but they brought dead ones. What is up with that? If I brought that to your house and I asked you as a botanist or a florist or just a regular gardener, what do you think I could do with this? And do you think it's going to make it? You would ultimately say what? Nope. What about that one over there? Probably. Possibly. I mean, it doesn't look that good. It's got a little bit of leaves falling off here and there, but it's got some life. It's got some green stuff in it. I, I think if I maybe did some miracle grow and put a little, for heaven's sake, put some water on it, I, I'd probably bring it back to life. And you would say there's a possibility of that, right? Sure. You need to know that when it comes to making it into heaven on your own, you need to understand that you and I are this dead plant. We think we're that. If I do a little more, if I give a little more, if I say a little more, if I do the right things, if I show up in church even once in a while, regularly and maybe, 
But we have a tendency to think we're like this. And God says, look, when you think about coming into heaven and being with me for all eternity, you need to know you're this dead plant. You're not that one. We all think we're there. We all think we're that one. If I do a little more, do a little deeper, get a little more out of it, I'll certainly make it. God certainly wouldn't send anybody to hell. He wants all of us in his kingdom, right? And if I just tried a little more, I'm going to make it. I'm certainly not that bad. I mean, please tell me I'm not that bad. I'd love you enough to tell you you're that bad. Without Christ, you have no hope on this planet. You have no way to get into heaven. You are hopeless, and because of sin, we are left that way, depraved of all moral boundaries and guidelines. And the most amazing thing is God saw you and I in that state and didn't see you as nothing, didn't see you as invaluable, saw you as something that he could give life to, and he took you from that to well beyond this and gave you everything you can possibly imagine. We're in Ephesians. I still think one of the greatest books ever written. Paul begins to kind of give us a glimpse of God's incredible love for us. We sang a lot of those songs this morning. It was hard not to sing. Raised us up out of life, out of death, and gave us life forever. Amazing grace. How great the sound saved a wretch like me. We want to look around saying, saved a wretch like them. I wasn't a wretch. But saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Paul begins to help us understand where we were and what God did. And this unbelievable gift called life. He lets us see inside the mind of God for a moment. This plan from the beginning of time and God's promise to us and the power God's made available to us. And he begins to try to help them understand what it's really like to go from death to life. And he wonders, are they getting it? Do they really fully understand? Is the mic on? Do they get all that I'm trying to tell them? And so I've often wondered what it was like if he kind of went off in a corner somewhere and said, God, I pray they get this. Because it will change their lives. So I really pray they get this. Pray that the eyes of the hearts will be enlightened. Not just with their emotions. If I feel like it, if it makes sense, if I can get something out of it, it makes sense. No, with their mind, that they really understand that that's what they were. And he offers life. I pray they get that. That they don't think they can do enough just to get by. I pray they get this, because it really will change their lives for all eternity. And then he almost backs off of the prayer and goes into chapter 2 and said, look, I need, you to, I need you to fully comprehend this, so let me just describe it again. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. As for you, who's the you? Who is the you? Us. He's writing the Ephesians. It's not necessarily to a church. But it's, it's theology, and he begins to try to help them understand who they were and what God is and does. And I, I've often wondered what it was like for him to begin to pen these words and think, somewhere down the road, 2,016 years from now, people at Community Alliance Church are going to read this. I don't think so at all. But he knew who the us was, and we all know who the us is. And, and I need you to know the us is them, the us is us, the us is you, the us is me. As for us, we were dead. We had absolutely no hope. We were dead in our transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now work and those who are disobedient. All of us, again the us, 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve death, but he offers us life. But three, three little What are those? What's a B, a U, and a T? Letters. Every once in a while that happens to me. That's why I script my sermon. Three little letters. Because of his amazing love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Three stages in your sermon notes this morning. He begins us, again reminds us of our past, who we were. He talks to us about our present, what we are now in Christ. When we receive Christ as our Savior, he begins to talk to us about where we stand right now. And then in 7 to 10, he talks to us about the future and who we are in Christ and what will someday be in Christ and what we can be now in Christ. So often when you read future theology, you think of it somewhere down the road or someday when I get into heaven. Every time you read about the future, you need to understand that it's now and then. What he offers us now in Christ, the future that we can be in Jesus even while we're here, and the future that we'll see someday when we get to heaven with him. In this text, there are six dimensions of salvation. From death, by his love, into life, with a purpose, through faith, unto good works. First aspect of it this morning. Second as well, next Sunday morning, the third. From death. You and I were dead. Paul's introducing to us the basic problem with humanity. It's not that we're out of touch with our environment. It's not that we can't maintain relationships. The problem is we're dead. Not physically, obviously. He's talking about spiritual death. What is it to be spiritually dead compared to physical death? Physical death is the inability to respond to anything. If you've ever been near and morbid, I get it, but if you've ever been in near a dead body, no matter what you do to it, it doesn't respond. You can touch it, it doesn't respond. You can't resuscitate it. You can't put life back into it. Only God can do that. You and I can't. Spiritually dead means I'm unresponsive to God, not responding to the things of God at all. I don't even care. Do you ever witness to someone trying to share with them who you are in Christ, what you do on Sundays, why you love to come to church, why you do the things you do, what your values are, what you see is important, why you follow the word of God, regardless of what anybody else tells you, and they look at you like deer in headlights, like, what are you talking about? Doesn't make sense to me. They're spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. No matter how often you try to explain to them who God is and what God has done, it just seems like they don't get it. And when you talk to them about your values, why you don't do this all weekend long, why you don't get blissed, why you don't get blown away, why you don't do drugs, the list is endless. Why you want to be pure in marriage. Why you want to be pure before marriage. Why you want to maintain a relationship in marriage. Why you don't cheat on your wife or cheat on your husband. When you try to tell them why they don't do that or why you don't do that, they look at you thinking, well, everybody else does. They're spiritually dead. And they think you don't make sense. They're physically alive, but spiritually dead. 
In verse 1, when he uses that phrase, they're dead in sin, sin in the form here means to miss the mark. For we've all sinned and fallen short of what God expects. Sin is not a matter of what I do right or what I do wrong. Sin is something I have failed to do. And what I failed to do is miss God's mark. Now, you're all wondering, what on earth is up with the target on the stage, right? If I were to ask you this morning to come up and join me on the stage or to take one of these arrows and say, how well do you think you're going to do to try to hit that center mark there? Most of you would probably say, either I don't want to try it or I don't want to do it in front of everyone. You would give it a shot. Anybody got an apple that you would stand up here and hold for me just for a moment? I just need somebody to volunteer with an apple for a moment. You would probably think, okay, I could do that. Who can't do that? Laird, come up here for a minute. My buddy Laird's a really good bow and arrow shot. Matter of fact, I'm going to do he and Emily's wedding in a couple of weeks, and they've got something very unique that they're going to do. And, I, and Laird, I know you can shoot well. I know you, you use a bow. I know you can do all that well. What I'd love to see you do is just stand out there in the back of the sanctuary when those doors open up. <laughs> and I want you to see if you, can hit, if you can hit the mark. Will you do that for me? Huh? Well, go ahead. Give it a shot. Pretty close. Thank you. I think I can do better than that. <laughs> Most of you do as well. I can do better than that. I can come close. The issue isn't whether or not you come close. You're all going to fall short of the mark. God's mark is perfection. God's mark is holiness. Be holy for I am holy. Be perfect for I am holy. And we look at ourselves and look at those around us and find ourselves saying, I know I'm not going to make it. I fall short of that expectation. I fall short of the mark. And no matter how good a shot you are, how well you know how to do it, or how much practice you've had, we're all going to fall short of that mark. If I were to put you on a bus and we'd all drive to New York City and I'd say, jump in the ocean today with me and let's see how far we can get to England. Most of you, or a few of you, would at least try. You'd at least get on the bus. And then we'd jump into the Atlantic and we'd take off. And some of you would have different motions and different responses and different techniques. But to be really honest with you, it wouldn't matter how good you did, how fast you swam, how far you swam, none of us would make it. And when it comes to getting into heaven, we need to be very clear that we fully understand that no matter how hard we try, how good we are, we're going to fall short of God's mark. And no matter how fast we swim or how far we go or how good we are at doing it, we're going to fall short of God's mark. You see, the problem is we have one or two extremes with that. Some of us will compare ourselves to somebody else. Well, I, I, could, I could do that. I could at least hit the target. I could swim further than him or her. The issue isn't comparing yourself to someone else. The issue is we all miss the mark. Now, the other extreme is this. Do you have any idea how bad I am? Do you have any idea what I've done? There's no way on the planet I'll ever get to heaven. I'll never make it. My life has been so bad, the issues in my life, the circumstances, I can't even talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it. I hate it when I think about it. Do you have any idea how bad I am? Yes, I do. And yes, he does. 
But he said, to be really honest with you, not a matter of how bad you are or how good you are, you're all dead. No hope of survival. No hope of making it. But in my amazing love and grace, even while you were still sinning, I sent my son to offer you life. And if you receive him, I've got the most amazing gift you could imagine. See, we all fall short. We all need salvation. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. God doesn't grade on a, grade on a curve. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it. And we're up against a number of things that force us to go in other directions. Three in your sermon notes this morning. One is the world that essentially says this. Look, it really doesn't matter. There is no God in the universe. When you're dead, you're dead. I, I want you to know that now. When you're dead, you're dead. So it doesn't really matter what the Word of God said. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I mean, it's one guy's thought. Maybe, all right, a bunch of guys wrote down some stuff, but it's been around for a long time. It's not as relevant as some of the things we read today. It's just not that big a deal. I grew up in a church for 11 years of my life. Give it your best shot. We're all going to heaven. That's what it was. My dad came from a church that essentially said this. As long as you're baptized as a baby, you're in. Takes away original sin. The word of God is pretty clear on who we are and what God offers. The world will tell you it doesn't make sense and it's really not true. Those of you who are in college or going to college or sending your children to college, they're going to hear this all the time. Matter of fact, they're going to be ostracized if they even claim that they know God in some cases. And they even claim they have moral values. But to be really honest with you, if the word of God isn't our guide, we're on our own. And we're trying to make it up as we go, and that's really not working. And the world is pushing so many things on us, same-sex marriage in the last few years, now the gender identity thing that nobody would 10 years ago ever even thought about, now is being so far along, so far along, you can't even fathom it. There are bills in the state, in the House office right now in Pennsylvania that are considering guidelines in Butler City Council that they're considering about these very issues that no one would have ever talked about a few years ago, that now they're saying, what's the difference? As long as you feel what you are, that's good enough for us. Secondly, you got the enemy working against you. Even Jesus faced him. Very beginning of his ministry, the blitz of the enemy to try to get him to go off mission or off course was over and over, almost relentless. Got him at the point of need, got him at the lowest point of his life. In that particular context, Paul very clearly in Ephesians 4 26 and 27 in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, describes for us the battle. He talks about it in here. When we get to that point in a few weeks, I'm going to spend a lot of time unpacking because I'm telling you, that's one of the things that sometimes we underestimate, the power and schemes of the enemy. We let our guard down. We let that window open. We open that door. We put a crack in our life, and we let the enemy come in. And I'm telling you, when he sees that crack, when he sees that open, he comes rushing in like you can't imagine whether it be in a stupor of some kind, whether it be in a coma of some kind that we choose to do by ourselves, whether it just simply be we don't care, what doesn't really matter, letting him and all the things that he wants to do, he is after those who still know, don't know Christ. He is after those who've received Christ. He's out to deceive and destroy and to pull us back, offering everything and delivering nothing. But I'm telling you, it is something you and I face every day of your life. You talk about a target, you're a believer in Christ, you got a target on your chest. 
talk about a target on your chest, position I stand in, the position I take, the role I have here at Community Alliance, you have no idea the targets that's on my back from the enemy. And finally, number three, we're also facing and struggling with that, with the flesh that Paul talks about in here. That dark side deep down inside of you, the part of you that if you're really honest when no one else sees and no one else knows, and a conversation that you have honestly with yourself that sometimes you can't even have with God, but that area of your life that you struggle with the most. For some, it's obvious. For some, others may know. Maybe your accountability group knows, and, and they help you with that. They walk with you, but there's some of us in the room who have that one thing deep down inside that absolutely no one on this planet knows. A desire to give in to the flesh. What is the difference? Why not just do it? Everybody else does. And you know, he knows, and the enemy knows what that is in your life. And I'm telling you, he's pushing you with everything he's got to do that. So not only are we dealing with the fact that we're dead in our transgressions, we're dead in our sin, and there's nothing we can do to get that. We've got all these things coming against us. The world, the flesh, the enemy, all coming against us to try to get us to either stay where we are or recognize that we're hopeless and never turn around. But God, three little letters, but God in his incredible love for us made us alive in Christ. Not only alive with hope in verse 6, but seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. He adopted us into his family. He treats us like sons and daughters. We're bought with, for light to life for a purpose. Verse 7, so that he could lavish on us all his riches, all his grace, and all his love. Notice this comes to us through faith, verse 8 and 9, not through church attendance, not for doing good to humanity, not for treating well the poor, not through baptism, but through faith. All of those things are great. You should do those. But remember, the problem isn't what you do. The problem is we've missed the mark. Don't do things. You can't do things that will bring you back from death to life. That is only an act of God, and he offers that to all of us. And God says, I offer it to you as a gift, a free gift to all who receive it. Human nature wants to do something to earn it. When Betty Crocker first came out with her add water cake mix, it didn't sell. Everyone thought it was too easy. They felt you have to do more. So she came out with another version. Add water and an egg, it sold like crazy. <laughs> oh, if I can do some, oh, that makes sense to me. We all feel like we've got to do something to earn this gift. There's no way God's going to offer me heaven. I've got to do something to get it. I've got to do something to earn it. There's no way. And God says, look, you can't. No matter how hard you try, you will always miss the mark. We've got people all over this globe in a religious system trying to earn God's pleasure, trying to earn their way to heaven when God says very clearly in the word of God, it can't be done. Only through Christ. How do I get it? Receive him in faith. Well, if I do that, how do I know for sure? He tells us. 1 John 5, write it down somewhere in your sermon notes. 1 John 5. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that doesn't have the son doesn't have life. These things I've written to you so that you believe on the name of the son of God and that you may what? Know you have eternal life. What's God's design in all of this? glad you asked because next week I'll tell you what and what it is and fill in that last blank that everybody in the first service told me you didn't fill in you may have heard the illustration before I've been around for a long period of time of a 
high-end society event where they invited an actor who came in and did a really, really great job of doing Shakespeare and so many of the other actors like that. He did it with such power and eloquence and excellence that everybody stood in amazement as to how well he could speak. There were some people there serving the group that was there and felt like they didn't fit and kind of inadequate. And one of them walked in and listened to that and was spellbound for a moment. And then all of a sudden blurted out, why don't you do Psalm 23? And the actor said, fine, I will and then you will. Hoping he could make fun of the servant. And so the British actor did. He did it with power and thunder and when he was done, everybody applauded. And he looked at the servant and said, okay, now it's your turn. And he did. When he was done, everyone was in tears. The actor came down to him at the end and said, Wow, I know the psalm. You know the shepherd. I know the book. You know the author. I can read it in writing and dictate it and stare it in words. You know who he is. There's a lot of us sitting here this morning maybe a few of us, maybe only one of us, who know the words, can say the verses, who think we're okay and think we're in. And maybe only one of us here this morning has said there's no way on the planet that we're in. But I'm telling you, if you know the shepherd, if you know the author, if you invite Christ into your life, you can know life. And the last thing we'd ever want to do is to have you walk out of here thinking, as long as I give it my best shot, If I practice a little more, certainly I'll get there. Certainly I'll hit it. The last thing I want you to do is to walk out of here thinking, okay, as long as I do that, I'll be okay. I need you to understand the visual image here this morning. We are dead without Christ. And for the one of you here this morning, maybe there's no one, but maybe there is one who thinks, I have no hope. I'm far beyond that. I'll never make it. I need you to know that he offers the same thing to you as he does to all of us, life. And you can know the Savior. You can know the shepherd. You can know the author. It is a free offer to all of us. Every single one of us falls short of God's expectation, which is perfection. Every single one of us are offered the gift of life. It is not an exclusive club. It's not for the 144,000. It is for all of us. Do not leave here today if you don't know that for sure. Father, I thank you for your word. It is so powerful. Vivid images remind us of what it looks like, and it kind of gives us a, a visual picture of what you've been saying for a long period of time, and I'm grateful for that, but your word is pretty clear. Without Christ, we have no hope. But three little letters change everything offered us grace and love. Even while we were sinners, you died for us. Thank you so much. The words seem so inadequate to be able to say thank you for that. But it is how we feel when we know. Does anyone here this morning who honestly, deep in your soul, doesn't know for sure that if you were to leave this world today, you'd see Jesus face to face. Man, do not leave here today without accepting Christ as your Savior. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. (laughs) It's free. We'd love to offer it to you. If you're that one maybe who thinks that you'll never get in, we offer you the same free gift. 
I can pray for you this morning, everybody else, keep your eyes closed. And uh, if you're one of those this morning in either of those categories and you don't know for sure that Christ is your Savior, I'd love to pray for you and then I'd love to talk to you as we dismiss. Anybody like that? Raise your hand. Let me pray for you where you're at. Anybody? On either end of the spectrum. Thank you. God, you know where we're at. I love that. Scary for some of us, but I love the fact that you know exactly where we are, not only physically, but relationally with you and emotionally and spiritually. And for those this morning who are either on either end of the spectrum, who aren't really sure, or for those who think there's no hope, today is the greatest day in their life that they find the gift that you offer them in Christ. And so may you be so real and so obvious and so evident to them that they know right now sitting beside them is not the individual that brought them or they came with but it's you the son of the living God breathing life into them and offering up this great gift may today be the day they rejoice for all eternity and may they never underestimate the miracle that is the greatest of all death of life you're one of those, I'd love to pray for you. If you didn't feel comfortable doing that, but just want to talk, man, do not leave this place today without talking about it. Next week, I'll fill in the last two blanks, 8, 9, and 10. Some of the most, I know I keep saying it over and over again, but some of the most powerful verses ever written, but hundreds of different churches have had their theology so misconstrued based on these three verses. And I want to again share a visual with you as to what they really represent what we can be in Christ. I'd love to have you come as we talk about it together and have some more visuals next Sunday to talk about those three verses. God bless you. See you then.